um, we're talking about our recent travels to Israel, to the Holy Land, and kind of learning from that. It's, um, uh, this has been uh, a fun series to kind of preach and to go through. We didn't want to make it a slideshow. We really wanted to make it applicable. Here's how we learn to follow Jesus in everyday life. And so I hope it's opened your eyes to learning more about the land and the history and the people of the Bible. Um, I hope it gives you some new perspective about when you read the Bible and you see these places mentioned. Now you're going, oh, uh, Mike talked about that. I saw that video. I, I know what that looked like. And it gives you a new appreciation so you just don't skip over all those places and cities and names and uh, that you actually start understanding the connections in the Bible. And so today we're going to be talking about faith. And um, I've got a little video to kind of kick us off this morning just to show, set the background and then we'll, we'll jump in. The Holy Land has been called the fifth gospel because it brings the Bible to life. You see the familiar Bible stories through a new lens and you gain a new perspective about the people of the Bible. One of the things that I thought about often was the amount of faith that it took to follow Jesus. Imagine laying down your nets in your way of life. Imagine leaving your job and your family behind and following a relatively unknown person from a small town in the middle of nowhere. Imagine seeing miracles performed for the first time and wondering how is this possible and wondering who is this person. Imagine coming to the realization that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come in human flesh. That is exactly what the disciples experienced. And we see their faith at times be strengthened and at times their faith struggled. We're the same today. At times we have a strong faith and we are willing to follow Jesus anywhere. But we forget, we take our eyes off Jesus and we fail. But even in our failure, God is faithful. Today, we want to look at Peter's life in order to better understand faith. So you got to see some sights and things that we took pictures of and filmed while we were there. And um, on the Sea of Galilee, it's just a beautiful place uh, on the Sea of Galilee. You can tell there from the pictures, it's, it, it, was, it was a special place. It was, on our first trip, it was the very first place we went to. We landed at the airport. We drove straight to Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee that night. The first morning we got up, we drove up to Mount Arbel, which overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And uh, man, just a, what a way to kick off the trip and to see from that vantage point the place where Jesus did most of his ministry. Uh, so when we think of the Lord's 12 disciples, uh, you know, which one do you normally think of? For me, I think of Peter. Because Peter is the one who was passionate. Peter is the one that was always like the first to speak up, the first to act up, the first to do anything. Peter was like that guy. Uh, he was passionate, but he didn't always stop to think about the consequences of his actions. And so I, I, to me, like if you think about the, the 12 disciples and if, if you think, of, you know, Peter is the action figure. He's the action hero of the bunch. He's the one that's going to be like in the limelight time after time after time. And so he was impulsive. He didn't always think about what he said or how, what he did. Um, earlier in the series, here's a good example. We, we showed a video of Caesarea Philippi. 
Uh, it was up in northern Galilee. It's a place, a huge rock, and you had all these beautiful springs and, and streams that flow through. And, and Jesus took the disciples there on a little retreat. It was very uh, atheistic. It was, very, uh, it was a place where um, even where they sacrificed people. I mean, so this is a, a very you know, evil culture. He, he took the disciples there, and he asked them a question. Who do you say that I am? Do you remember that? In, in, in Matthew 16, this is what Peter said. He was the first one. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, this is, that, that's like typical Peter. Who, who do you, he's like the first to speak up. I know who you, uh, we're, we're, you know, I, I'm, but here, what's interesting, just skip down a few verses. Verse 21, then Jesus, right? He began to tell the disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. So he got them up there. like who? He's starting to prepare them for what was about to happen. And Peter, verse 22, this is also Peter, right? This is the perfect contrast. The, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he turns right around in the next breath. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. Now think about, I mean, think about the audacity to, to take Jesus, pull him aside and say, Jesus, wait a minute. And was, and Peter's like, in essence, he's saying, we're your bodyguards. We're not going to let that happen. That's not going to happen to you because we're going to prevent it. He's telling Jesus, he's telling the Savior. He just said he's the Messiah, God in the flesh. Now Peter turns around and says, wait a minute. I don't like what you're saying. We're going we're to do this a different way. That's Peter, right? In, in a nutshell, you see how he, he kind of goes back and forth and how he vacillates from boastful to, to arrogant at, even at times. And, and Jesus even turned to him and said, get away from me, Satan, because you are a dangerous trap to me. You're, you're seeing things just merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And so what we see here, Peter loved Jesus, but that brash and impulsiveness got him in trouble sometimes. And that's, that, that was his fault. And, but, but that's what I love about the Bible. We see the good, we see the bad. Uh, it doesn't kind of cover up the people's faults in the Bible. It, it brings them out. And, and, and I, I mean, you just go through Scripture, you see all these other examples of Peter. Uh, before the, the Passover, Jesus starts acting strange. Uh, they're in, you know, they're in this upper room eating, and, and Jesus, like he he kneels down and, and and puts his tunic around his waist and gets the towel out and he starts washing their feet. and And Peter's like, "You're not going to wash my feet, uh, you know. That's not. I'm not going to let you." And 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 Jesus, no, no. I mean, that's Peter again. He's like, he's the first to speak up. He's also boastful. Um. um you know, he, Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And, and that's when Jesus tells him, but no, you're, you're actually going to deny me. And Peter couldn't believe it. He's like, no, that's, that's not me. That's not who I am. All right? There's all these other stories. We'll be talking about him um, on, on the Sea of Galilee. We'll, you know, when, he was, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, who, well, you remember what Peter did? He drew out his sword. He cut off the ear of the guy. He's like, no, I mean, we're going to fight this out. That's Peter. And so we see time and time again, right, that, 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 that Peter is the, the disciple who 
man, he was like on fire. He would be the one that would be like the one that was first to jump up, the first to defend you, the first to speak up, the first to do anything. And I'm grateful for his story, but it also teaches us a lot about faith. And so throughout this series, we've been learning how to follow Jesus, how to walk with him, how to learn from him. And this morning, we want to learn about faith from Peter. So what is faith? Here's my simple definition this morning. We'll put it up on the screen. Uh, I, I think this is one of the easiest uh, or sim- most simplest definitions we can get. Faith is an active trust in God. It's not a passive trust. It's active. It's you actually act upon it. It's trust in God and, and, and enough trust where you're going to act upon it. And, and so that, that's... Uh, that, that's really kind of a, a good definition for us. As fishermen, most of the disciples would have grown up on the Sea of Galilee. And they would have known it very well. Um, we've shown you a lot of pictures of the Sea of Galilee. We were able to go on a boat ride on it. It's not that big. If uh, you remember, I told you it's eight miles across, 14 miles uh, end to end. Um, so you can see across the lake. Uh, and both it, mountains on both sides, and it, it's actually about 700 feet below sea level. So now you have some strange weather patterns here. Um, on two separate occasions, though, the disciples found themselves in trouble on the Sea of Galilee. They found themselves fearful. They sound, found themselves afraid. One time, Jesus was asleep in the boat. He woke up calm, be still. They were amazed at what happened, and he went to the other side. We talked about that in an earlier message, and uh, the demon-possessed man was healed, and uh, the church exploded on the other side. It, all that stuff was, uh, is amazing to read about. But on another, lo- another time, here in Matthew 14, we read about it, and it says... Um, in Matthew 14, verse 22, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And while he sent the people home, after sending them home, Jesus, right, he went up into the hills by himself to pray and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples, they got in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Now, who's the first to always speak up? Peter, right? And Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And so, You know, this is kind of an interesting story here. Usually, a journey by boat across the Sea of Galilee should take just an hour or two at most. It's not that big of a lake. Again, you can see across it. Now, they had already been on the water for, who knows, 6 to 12 hours at this point. And they had got stuck where they were rowing as hard as they could and the wind was pushing them back. They were rowing so hard and not going anywhere. This is how fast it was. Jesus was able to walk on the water faster than they were rowing. Think about that, right? That's when you know you're in trouble, when you're not moving, you're working, and you're not going anywhere. And so they're getting scared. And and so that's where Peter made this critical decision. Is he going to struggle in a boat or or turn to someone for help? He sees this guy walking on water. He's like, Jesus, I'm not sure if that's really you, but let's just be honest. If you see someone walking on water, um, 
the disciples had already seen enough to know, okay, Jesus kind of does some weird stuff here. He does some stuff that defies explanation. This has got to be Jesus. And so Jesus, now just to, you know, just to hedge his bets here, just to make sure if it's you, then, then call to me and I'm just going to get out of this boat because we're not going anywhere and I'm going to walk out to you. That, that's, it's so, that's active faith. It's reaching out and saying, Jesus, can I meet you on the water? And, and so this is such a powerful question. If it's you, tell me to come to you. And I really do believe this is a demonstration of faith. This is that act of trust. It's not, it's not just saying, Jesus, I trust you. You're going to get us out of this. It's like, hey, I'm going to do something about it. I trust you enough to act upon it. I trust you enough to get out of the boat. And so faith is just trusting Jesus to be there when we need him. It's trusting Jesus uh, to help us in our time of need. Uh, one quote I read this week, it says, faith is not belief without proof, but it's trust without reservation. I love that. I mean, that's what faith is. It's not, it's not just belief, it's trust. It's trust without reservation. That's Peter in the boat. He's like, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to come out to you if it's you. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase, right? That's faith. It's like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to take this first step. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem possible. I don't even understand it. But Jesus, if you call me, I'm coming to you. That's faith. And that's the act of faith we're, we're talking about. But if we keep going, faith means that we focus on God instead of our fear. And this is what gets us in trouble. This is what starts tripping us up. This is where we mess up. And so we see how Jesus answers in Matthew 14, verse 29. He says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him. And they said, you really are the son of God. So this is an interesting story because we're just talking, Peter has this faith to step out of the boat and walk to Jesus. Now, we kind of give Peter a hard time for sinking, but the truth is he was the only disciple that had enough faith to get out of the boat to start with. The rest of them were so scared, they were hugging the sidewalls of that boat, probably puking over the side saying, we're, we're not going to live through this. But, Jesus, but Peter is the one. He's the one that, that's getting out of the boat and, and walking to Jesus. Uh, Peter, the only problem was he was looking to Jesus, but he stopped looking at Jesus. And as soon, I mean, the principle is clear here, right? When you're in a storm, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. When you're going through a tough time, if you take your eyes off Jesus and you start focusing on your problem, on your predicament, on your situation, on all the things that could go wrong, what's going to happen? You're going to sink. That's what happened to Peter here. And so, uh, you know, faith is just keeping our eyes on Jesus. Fear is what sinks us. I'm just telling you, in life, so many times we find ourselves in the middle of the storm and where we get ourselves in trouble is we take our eyes off Jesus and we become consumed by the situation. We become consumed by what may happen or what could happen. 
Uh, have you all ever done this? Do you start saying in your mind you're, you're worried about a meeting the next day or a conversation you have to have or somewhere you've got to go or somewhere you've got to be? And in your mind, you just start running, oh, this could happen. And if this person says this, I'm going to do this. Do you all do that? You create scenarios in your head and you go through and you create all these different scenarios. What, what are you, you're focusing on the problem. Uh, you, you start focusing on everything that could go wrong. You start focusing, and, and it's fear. Fear is at the root of that. It's fear that, man, this could go off the rails. This could go away. I don't want it to go, and I don't wa- I, I, we want control. We want to know what's happening. So we start preparing ourselves by running all these scenarios, and it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us where we, we get to the point where we, all we're doing is we're consumed by our fears and we start getting worried. We start getting anxious. That's what happens. And, and fear, uh, man, that's what happens when we focus on our fear. Martin Luther uh, he said this. He says, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace so sure and certain that a man could stake his life upon it a thousand times like that's what faith is it's like I'm going to trust Jesus even if I lose my life in doing it what's the worst thing that could happen I'd be with Jesus (laughs) I mean that's what that's kind of Martin Luther's perspective during the Reformation he's like the worst thing that could happen is I just get to meet Jesus a little sooner but I'm going to trust him I'm going to absolutely trust him with everything and so when we have faith or we say we have faith, do we really have it if we're constantly consumed by doubt and worry? I've shared this quote before, but I'll share it again. Francis Chan said this, and man, this is like, this is one of those quotes that like, it is so convicting to me. I think we've, I just keep going back to it. He says this, he says, worry implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Ouch, Right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, stress says that the things we are involved in are important enough to meet, uh, to merit our impatience, our lack of grace towards others, or our tight grip of control. Basically, these two behaviors communicate that it's okay to sin and not trust God because the stuff in my life is somehow exceptional. Both worry and stress reek of arrogance. They declare our tendency to forget that we've been forgiven, that our lives are brief, and that in the context of God's strength, our problems are small indeed. That's, um, that's like tough, right? Does that step on y'all's toes? Because it steps on mine. I mean, when I read that, it's just like every time I'm worrying, every time I start focusing on my fear, every time I start focusing on everything that could go wrong or may go wrong, it's like Peter taking his eyes off Jesus and looking down at the water and getting scared and start sinking. That's what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. Now, if the story ends there, it would just be another cautionary tale. And like, okay, if we take our eyes off Jesus, it's a bad thing and we shouldn't do it. But I love that we learn from Peter's mistake, not there, but his other mistakes, that Christ is faithful. And that brings me to my next point. Through Peter's failure, here's what we learn about Jesus. We learn of his faithfulness. We learn of Christ's faithfulness. And so if you keep going through the the gospel stories and... So many about Peter and so much we can learn from. Um, Luke 22 is where it all kind of falls apart. Luke 22 is, I think, the the, 
the, the worst of it, where the, where the wheels fall off for Peter. Verse 54, they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. Um, and so it's interesting that on our last trip, we were able to go to the place they think is Caiaphas's home. There, it's near Mount Zion and Jerusalem. And uh, there's a place there uh, that's, uh, uh, it's interesting. Houses don't have like prison cells in them, but Caiaphas's house did. Uh, there's a cell that uh, there's a hole in the ceiling that they would lower people down. Now they've got a staircase down into it. We were able to walk down in this cell where Jesus likely was. Can you, I mean, that just like amazes me uh, that you're finding stuff in Israel from 2,000 years ago that line up with Scripture. And just That's what's amazing to me about the Holy Land. You see stuff and they're like, no, we know this is Caiaphas's house and we know this is where he lived and there's a prison cell in it. Imagine that. Um, and, and so that's neat. Peter followed at a distance though. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally she said, this man, wait a minute, you're one of... Jesus' followers. Peter's first to speak. He's always the boastful one. What did he do? Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. And he said, no, no, man, I'm, I'm not. And about an hour later said, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You know, it's sometimes the people that are the loudest and most confident fall the hardest. Have you noticed that in life? And I think that's what we see here with Peter. He's the one that's going to be first to speak up, the first to do something. But when push comes to shove here, he, he fails. He fails spectacularly. I mean, this is a public denial of Jesus. And it just hit Peter like a ton of bricks. He, he realized that he started weeping bitterly. He just left. And that's what shame does to us. It's what guilt does to us. It, it makes us kind of just cower in fear. It makes us run away. It makes us try to escape our problems it makes us think that we're no longer worthy, that God no longer loves us, that it, it, we just do all this stuff. It's like we, we, it just paralyzes us for the future. And I don't know why Peter denied him. I don't know if it was out of fear. I don't know if it was out of uncertainty. I don't know if it was out of confusion. But we see him just sitting around a fire. I don't know where, what he was thinking about. We, we, could, have all, we could conjecture about it. I, I, we don't know what's happening here. But the truth is, when Jesus needed him, he, he denied him. And I don't know about you, but when people betray me, when people hurt me, um, human nature is like, I don't want to have anything to do with them. Are you all that way too, or am I just bad, right? I mean, when people, you're like, when that happens, we just like, I don't want anything to do with that person anymore. I don't trust them. That trust has been broken. I don't want to experience that pain again. And, and so we just cut them out. And that would be reasonable to expect Jesus to do the same thing from a human perspective. But here's what I love is God doesn't give up on us. 
God doesn't give up on us. And we see that in the story. So if we kind of fast forward the story a little bit, um, to me, and I, I was in, even in Israel, I was asking our gods all these questions like, now, how long does it take to get from here to here? And, how, and, and in my mind, I'm trying to piece together after the resurrection uh, what took place. And we have different accounts in the Gospels, and it's a little, you've got 40 days there between when Jesus rose again and Pentecost. All right, 40 days, and a lot happens in that 40 days. So let me kind of walk through what happens uh, uh, and walk you through that. The women found the tomb empty, right? That was the first thing. They ran back, told Peter and John. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and John just happens to tell us that he's a fast runner and he beat Peter. I love that. You know, there's little details in the scriptures like the disciple that Jesus loved outran Peter. You know, John's like, I, I, you know, that's just two guys. It's like everything's a competition. <laughs> Who's going to get there first? Um, then, uh, then Jesus appears on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples. They don't recognize him at first, and he, they understand. They run back and tell the others. While they're telling the others, Jesus just appears in the room. Um, and so he spent time teaching them about the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And we know that Thomas was not there at that time. And so when Thomas came back, they told him he didn't believe it. But about uh, eight days later, Jesus appeared to Thomas as well. So already we're, uh, you know, uh, eight, you know, a week into this 40-day period. Then here's what's interesting. The next scene, the disciples are back in Galilee uh, fishing on the, on the Sea of Galilee. Now, do you remember, I think last week I mentioned how far it is from Jerusalem to Galilee. You remember? 80 miles, if you forgot. 80 miles. Um, it could be walked in as short of four or five days if you're just like, but typically it was a one or two week journey. And so think about this a little bit. Um, and this, and this is what's interesting. I think sometimes in scripture, you just read and, you know, go from one chapter to the next. They're in Jerusalem. Now they're in Galilee. They're, they had to walk there, right? They didn't get on a bus. They didn't take a plane. They had to walk all the way back to Galilee. And when they get back to Galilee, what did they do? Jesus told them, lay down your nets and come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. When they got back to Galilee, what did the disciples do? They started fishing again. They started fishing. I think that's significant um, because at that point, they had sold everything. They had left everything. They'd been away for years and not been fishing. And now they get back. Jesus is gone. He's been, been, been crucified. And, and they're like, what do we do now? What, we just go back to what we know. We go back to what we grew up doing. We go back to, to, they went back to the familiar. And I think we do that without realizing it sometimes. We go back to our old way of life when things get stressful. And people in addiction, you, you know this, right? If you're not careful, when things get stressful, you go back and do what you know you're not supposed to do. You go back to the familiar. You go back to, to self-medicating. You go back to uh, to. to and that, I feel like that's what the disciples are doing on the water. They're self-medicating. They're going back to fishing. And, 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 and I, I think Peter at that point is like, I've denied him. There's no future for me as a disciple. Uh, yes, I've seen Jesus. He's rose from the dead. But I, what could God do with me now? And, and I think his fear is I have faith in Jesus, but I'm not sure if he has faith in me. I feel like that's kind of where Peter is at at that time. And, and we pick it up in John 21. Um, in John 21, verse 1, he, he says, Later, 
Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Peter and Thomas, nicknamed the twin, and Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, right? And the two other disciples. Uh, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, and we'll come to the house. So they went out in a boat, and they caught nothing all night. Now, at this point, maybe Peter was still ashamed. Maybe he was convinced that he had blown his chance to serve with Jesus. Um, you know, it's interesting. He went back fishing. The nets are empty. And maybe he's feeling like now, he's like, I can't even fish anymore. I'm not even successful at this. He, I, I could just see him kind of drowning in his sorrows a little bit at this point. And, and then at verse 4, it says, At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see where he was. He called out, Fellows or friends, have you caught any fish? What's interesting here is Jesus had already told them, I no longer call you servants, but now I'll call you my friends, right, when he was with them. And he calls out to them, friends. Um, no, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. At this point, the bells have to be going off in their mind. Wait a minute, this guy that we can't see who's on the distant shore is calling us, telling us to throw our nets on the other side. Do you think their mind's going back? Hey, this has happened before. This has happened before, and it was Jesus. Then the disciple Jesus loved, we get it, John, yeah, Jesus likes you, and you don't want to boast about it, but yeah, this is, this is John. He said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he has stripped for work. So when you're fishing, you don't have on the, the, the a disciple wore, wore a tunic, right? That was kind of part of your, your garb, your outfit for following a rabbi. You had a tunic that you wore. Obviously, he wouldn't be fishing in it. So he put it back on. Now, get this. Does it make sense for him to put on clothes before he jumps in the water? Normally, we do the opposite, right? But Peter's like, no, I'm just, and in my mind, I'm sorry, forgive me, but every time I see this, I picture Forrest Gump jumping in the water. <laughs> You're going to think that too now when you read this. Every time, it's Forrest, Lieutenant Dan, Lieutenant Dan, and just taking off. I'm sorry, I just, you'll remember that, I'm telling you. Um. The others stayed with the boat pull, and pulled the boat loaded, lo, the loaded net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. 100 yards, that's 300 feet that he took off swimming in his full gear. That's pretty impressive. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Can I tell you something? When was the last time Peter was around a fire? At Caiaphas' house when he denied Jesus. And when Jesus is waiting on them, there's a fire burning. And he gets to sit around the fire with Jesus. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was Jesus. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And we could spend so much time just on these three questions here. Jesus is asking him in the Greek, it's this word, this unconditional love. Do you, do you really love me? And Peter's like, uh, I love you, right? He, you know I love you, but he's using a different word here. He's like, I, I love you, and it's not the same level of love here. And, and, and then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then he repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, yes, yes, Lord, Peter. He said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young and you were able to do as your life, you dressed yourself, went wherever you went, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let them know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Such a beautiful picture of redemption. Such a beautiful picture of redemption. In Israel, um, there's a church now on the beach at the Sea of Galilee near Togba. Uh, it's called the Church of the Primacy of St. Peter. Um, and actually, uh, when I filmed in, on the Sea of Galilee talking about the other side of the lake, I was standing at that place. It's the beach that they believe that Jesus had this meal with the disciples. There's a lot of places like that. You're not sure. And if it wasn't there, it was close by, right? I mean, we know it's within a, a half mile to mile of where we were, but that's where they traditionally think. They built early church there and, and kind of... Uh, it's just interesting. It's interesting that they, up until the ninth century, they called that church and the place there, uh, the place of the coals. The place of the coals was the name of that church because it's where Jesus built the fire and, the, and, and restored Peter. And, and the reason he asked him that three times is Peter had denied him three times. And he's just showing him that no matter how many times you fail me, I'm there to forgive you and to restore you. Even though Peter failed, Christ was faithful to restore him. He didn't punish him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't make fun of him. He reinstated him. And can I tell you, right, um, what he did, he gave Peter a new identity and a new purpose. And when you mess up, when you fail, you have a choice. Do you keep your eyes on your problems and your failures and your mistakes and your shame? Or do you allow Jesus to give you that new identity and purpose? to reinstate you, to give you, uh, to give you a, a new mission in life. And I tell you, so many of we will find ourselves in that boat of shame at some point in our, in our life. And I'll be honest, I think it's tougher in a small town. Because every, when you mess up, everybody knows about it. They know about it before you know about it in a small town. Right? And, and so there's no escaping that. But what we see here is this reminder that it's never too late for, for Jesus to restore us. I've got a, a closing video here just to talk about faith, and then we'll close. I'm here on the Sea of Galilee, and it's been an amazing experience so far in, in Israel. And um, it just, it, it's mind-boggling to think how much of Jesus' ministry was centered around this sea. And it's a hazy day today, and you can't even see the other side. But um, I want you to think about a few things. One, um, this is a place where faith was demonstrated. And think about that. For the Israelites, the sea represented danger, represented uncertainty. They, 
Uh, we're, we're leery of any body of water. And, and yet this is the place where Jesus brought his disciples. He gathered them together. He used it to, to show them what faith really looked like. Jesus started his ministry uh, here on the Sea of Galilee. He grew up in Nazareth, which is uh, not far from here, um, but he didn't do ministry there very long. And the people there didn't accept him. In fact, they ran him out of town, literally. And, and that's when Jesus left Nazareth and ended up in a, a town called Capernaum. Uh, that's where he did many uh, miracles that we know of. It's where uh, he called uh, Peter and, and Andrew and James and John as to, to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He called Matthew the tax collector because it was also a city, a kind of a border town where they collected taxes there. And not far from there uh, was the place uh, later on in his ministry in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where he gathered his disciples up on a hillside and, and shared the Beatitudes, shared the, the lessons that really turned their faith upside down. Uh, we see him not far from there on, on the hillside, gather the, the loaves and the bread and feed the 5,000. Uh, we see the area from Capernaum to the whole Sea of Galilee area to Bethsaida. To, he just spent his ministry right here, teaching in the synagogues, uh, getting people, healing people. And you see the people follow him and, 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 and gain, he gains that following where people are, are, are thinking, this may be the Messiah. He took his disciples away and asked them, who do you say that I am? And it was there that Peter said, you are the Christ. And I share all this because when Jesus gathered his disciples here uh, and showed them everything around, there's a, there's a mountainside called Mount Arbel here, and you can see beautiful, picturesque uh, place where you can see very high, elevated above the Sea of Galilee. You can see everything here. And he gathered them there, and, and you can just imagine them looking out over everything and looking to the other side, which was where the Gentiles lived, and explaining to them, one day this is where you're going to go. Uh, I want to challenge you a little bit about your faith. When uh, they were on the Sea of Galilee, this is the place where Jesus calmed the storm. This is the place where Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Uh, this is the place where Jesus met the disciples after the resurrection. We see over and over again, this was a place where faith was questioned, faith was challenged, and faith was demonstrated. Uh, do you have faith? Do you uh, trust Jesus? Do you believe what he says? Will you go where he sends you? Will you do what he asks you to do? Will you uh, trust him uh, to be your Lord, your leader, your master, your savior? So it's interesting that decades later, we have Peter's words recorded in 1 Peter, and this is what he said in chapter 1. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with this great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, and through your faith, God is protecting you by the power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. 
So be glad, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while. It's the same Peter, right, that spoke at Pentecost and preached a message and 3,000 people were saved. This is a Peter who went on to live the rest of his days proclaiming Jesus. Church tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because he deemed himself unworthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. You see, when God restores you, God will continue to use you. And and I want to just challenge you, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've experienced, God can still use you. Don't ever get to the point in life where you say, well, you just don't understand. God can't use me. All right. If you are a believer in Jesus and we become a believer, he tells us plainly, it's by faith. Throughout scripture, we see that word over and over again. And what is faith? It's an act of trust. It's not just intellectually knowing who Jesus is. It's an act of trust in him to live with him, to walk with him. It, it's under, it's, it's, that's why we say we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's this act of trust. It's, it's more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's actually walking with Jesus. That's what faith does. Faith is action. Faith moves us to do something about it. And so today, if you don't know Jesus, this is your invitation to follow him, to put your faith in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We're thankful for Peter's example. And so today, Lord, will you uh, help those who are listening, whether here, online, would you help them to know without a shadow of a doubt that their faith is in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save them. Lord, when we call out to you, you hear our cry, you, uh, you, you forgive us of our sin, you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you, you bring us into the family of God, you adopt us into your family, you restore us just like you restored Peter, and you put us into your service. So my prayer is for each person in this room to know that they're saved and that you are not done with them yet. As long as we're breathing, as long as we're alive, God, you can use us for your glory. So Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone that you would help us work through our failures and to keep our eyes on Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.